0: Thanks for tuning into this podcast. My name is Brian Prowitz. I'm a Roseburg City Councilor and also the owner of BP Media Solutions in downtown Roseburg. BP Media is one of the founding sponsors of a group called Tag in Roseburg. It's the Homeless Transition Action Group, and it is an organization that was formed around the concept that there are people and resources around Roseburg who are interested in helping ease some of the issues around homelessness in our community and in the room today for this conversation that we're going to have a little bit about HTAG but we're really going to dive into the sobering center because for a lot of people who may be listening the first time they ever heard about HTAG Might have been around the news of a sobering center uh, locating in Southeast Roseburg. And this is an opportunity for you to learn from the people who believe this is a really good idea. And we hope that you interact with us in the way of emails or comments on this Facebook post uh, where you hear this or possibly on SoundCloud. And be able to sort of engage with us. because. this is the way good conversation and solutions are formed. So in the room, we have Jim Kaplan, who's the facilitator of H Tag. We have Ross Bannister, who uh, I will have, int- he'll, he'll introduce himself in just a moment. We'll get his resume for you, if you will. And then Mike Fieldman, who is the CEO of UCAN, uh, the United Community Action Network based here in Roseburg, but also representing uh, Douglas County and Josephine County. Before we get too far into it, Ross, I better have you introduce yourself and give us give us your short title and a little bit of your background.
1: Okay. <clears throat> My name is Ross Bannister. I'm a, a retired alcohol and drug counselor. Uh, when I retired six years ago, I'm also a, I have a ministry background. I went to uh, uh, Canada <coughs> to uh, the downtown east side of Vancouver, which has the largest uh, concentration of addiction in North America and experienced a lot of evidence-based solutions and uh, then felt uh, uh, it was important to come back here and see if I couldn't apply some of these um, principles to Roseburg.
0: We'll be hearing more from Ross. He plays a really important role in the discussion that we're going to have here today. I want to have Jim step in front of that microphone just for a moment, Ross, uh, and uh, Jim Kaplan, who is in another podcast that you may have listened to, which is sort of an introduction to HTAG. And Jim, just sort of set the scene for us just a little bit on the Sobering Center. HTAG's role in this Concept. We'll get into where the idea came from and that kind of thing, but just set us up um, uh, with tag's role in this discussion about a sobering center. Okay,
2: well, uh, yeah, I'm Jim Kaplan. Most folks know me as CAP around town, and uh, I'm the facilitator, uh, as Brian said. So what I do is kind of help the program move ahead. I keep people on track and and help support them. Uh, And and part of that was developing a report which we issued about 14, 15 months ago uh, in which there were 14 projects uh, identified. One of those projects is called Home Hub, and this came out of a community dialogue that had gone on for months and months. But the idea behind the Home Hub was to have a place where homeless folks could go to get all kinds of resources that they might need uh, to help them uh, transition their life back to a more normal lifestyle, housed and employed, uh, addiction-free, and uh, and educated if indeed they needed uh, education support. So uh, the idea was to have a location, uh, which eventually people started calling a drop-in center. And then later on, as a result of some other programs going going on, uh, the sobering center. So it really is directly attached to what the community said they wanted to do in terms of having this home hub.
0: And both Ross Bannister and Mike Fieldman are at the HTAG meetings, part of the leadership council. And the the idea of a sobering center um started to come up as as cap mentioned uh, in those early conversations around htag mike fieldman from ucan i want to bring you into the conversation and talk about why ucan is at the table and what your take is on where this concept came from
3: um UCAN has been involved with homeless programs for, for a long time. We have services down on Jackson Street currently where we're working with homeless veterans and families and all that. So that's been a, a base part of UCAN for services for a long time. Um, in HTAG, we were a real uh, found, part of the founding group that came into it, and we were the ones who really saw a need, along with other people, for a place for people to go to uh, during the daytime where they could. Uh, get some of their basic needs met, and and also where we can engage them more in the services. Um, as far as the sobering center goes, it sort of evolved. That actually sort of evolved out of a uh, an offer or an opportunity that the state legislature provided to Douglas County uh, a couple of years ago. The legislature actually provided uh, grants to three communities around the state of about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to be able to start a sobering center. Uh, down in grants pass they really ran with it and they um, we're able to get a lot of support from the community for it and have it about a year ago established uh, the opened the doors on a sobering center down in Grants Pass and made use of that quarter million dollars. Um, here in Douglas County, we've been working uh, for that time period trying to identify a place, trying to figure out how we could operate it on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that grant actually went to ADAPT, um, was part of the drug and alcohol treatment uh, funding that the ADAPT gets. And adapt strategically. Had decided that they didn't really want to operate um, the sobering center themselves. They just didn't see that as their their role. And so they approached us, Ucan, about the possibility of operating it. And I really felt like it would fit in with our mission. And then I could also en- see envision how um, we could tie the, the the goal that Ucan had of wanting to have a, a day drop-in center with a sobering center where. Um, people coming out of the Sobering Center would be able to just go directly to services or have people talk with them about engaging them in services. So it just seemed like a real natural fit for what we were wanting to do. And um, uh, and just it seemed like a, a good opportunity for us.
0: But the I think the most important part of what you said was right at the beginning, this is actually an idea that is driven by the state of Oregon right now, right? Right. As 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 I just I want to Sobering reiterate Center. that, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Right. Ross, I want to have you step in. You want to add anything so far to what's been said before I ask you a, a
1: question? Uh, no. Okay.
0: So now, when I say where did this concept come from, it's hard to separate sobering center and drop-in center. I think the idea started with the drop-in center and is sort of morphed toward the sobering center with the state money that we've been talking about. Am I on the right track?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Okay. When I <coughs> returned to uh, to Roseburg, I met Cap the first week I was back, and we. Partnered up and started <coughs> calling on business leaders and what have it with the idea of having a drop-in center, and that's the idea—a place that people can uh, uh, can go to during the daytime, and uh, <coughs> ideally get people off the street. But not just that; they would come, and we'd have a concentration of services there—help with addiction or the helps that Mike's mentioned—and mm-hmm. so it's a way of bringing help to the pop that population. The, The homeless population that generally has a hard time getting around and uh, um, and there's all kinds of uh, other examples most most major cities um, have some kind of a uh, uh, an arrangement like that uh, uh, on offer
0: so I want to kinda go through these benefits of the drop-in center specifically here first one of the issues is the homeless people will tell you. They don't really have any place where they can hang out all day and then they get in trouble for blocking a sidewalk or you know whatever the infraction might be. Right. Actually, there are no ordinances on blocking sidewalks in the city of Roseburg at this time, but there might be something else that they're doing that potentially could be disruptive or, or uh, citeable by city police, right? So one of the things is where can I go during the day? Now, the mission has a drop-in center that people can hang out uh, in, but... Um, the biggest thing about the mission is you have to be sober, right? Clean and sober to be able to take in those services. Not to mention that's for men only. So now, if you have somebody who does have an addiction and isn't ready to quit, or potentially has a wife or a family, there that limits their ability to use the mission as a place to stay. Mm-hmm. So far, any objections to what I've said?
1: Nope. Well, Sorry. one, there's just there's a there's a there's a basic assumption that everyone who's alcoholic or drug addicted, <coughs> is capable of absence out of a choice. And that's just not true. In the advanced stages, there's got to be medical intervention, detoxing, what have you. And so that population that can't get sober, um, <clears throat> one of the problems, if you go in there sober in the middle of the night, you might start going into the DTs or withdrawal. And um, <coughs> so there needs to be a, a, a population, for a, a place for the for the rest that we can serve them so those helps to be there as as regular just some basic needs a place to wash your clothes um, talk about a drop-in center
3: now, ha- right? Have a shower, right. right? And that was, yeah, that's a, one of the things we envisioned for the drop-in center was a place for people to be able to meet some of their other basic needs, like where do I take a shower, where do I do do my wash, charge um, your phone, charge your phone. You we talked
0: about a locker at some point, exactly, right? Because exactly. because when you're on the street or homeless, you're very. I mean, the property that you see these people pushing around in in uh, uh, shopping carts or wagons. That's it. That's what they have. They're very defensive of that material, right? And if they have a place, they can, they know it's safe. They can put it aside. They know that's locked up there and then they can take care of some other business, right? Right. Man. Exactly. So, um, now, so far, we've really been talking heavily about the drop in center. And uh, now the sobering center discussion comes in at, at what point, and maybe it hasn't, maybe it's just my. Uh, my perception was there a shift away from drop-in center to sobering center at some point, or well, have the two just been locked together and we've only just heard about the sobering? No, I center? think
3: I think it, they sort of morphed together as that funding became available and and we realized well you know the potential for it because with either a sobering center or a drop-in center I mean or service centers we like to call it now. Um, the challenge is how do you operate? How do you pay for its day-to-day operations? And so, you know, we just saw the uh, the possibility by combining the two together that it becomes a lot more financially feasible to to do pull them both off um, rather than having two separate uh, entities going on and trying to find two separate facilities and two separate staff and two separate uh, support dollars for it. So, with the sobering center, you know, we basically the model that we have is. Uh, we're looking at it being open 12 hours a day, so basically from about 9 9 p.m. at night to 9 a.m. in the morning, and it would be staffed um, during that time period, and um, and then during the daytime, then uh, Ucan already has its staff on Jackson Street working with that with that population, and if we had a facility that was big enough, then we could just move those staff over there, and then with the grant dollars that we have to to provide the homeless services we'd be able to help pay for the rent or the overhead and the utilities and then also the staffing during the daytime. And so by melding those two together, it just became a much more financially feasible model for us to envision being successful with.
0: That's Mike Fieldman from UCAN. We're talking to Ross Bannister and Jim Kaplan also with uh, HTAG, the Homeless Transition Action Group uh, in Roseburg. Jim, you, have, Cap, you haven't spoken for a little while. Do you want to throw in a couple of thoughts on anything that we've been talking about?
2: Yeah, maybe just A little bit, um, you know, there. I'm really glad we're having this conversation, Brian, because it does tell you how those are two different functions and at the same time very compatible functions. So, the drop in center is, as Ross said, let's get folks off the street, let's get them services, let's get them lined up for for detox or whatever if they need to. Uh, The sobering center, people would come in at nine ten eleven o'clock at night be admitted be put in a secure area with a place just basically a pallet on the floor where they could uh, recover and the next morning uh, you know leave and so they could either leave by being transported back home or back to their neighborhood again or they could move into the drop-in center. And that's where the the connection, the nexus occurs. That morning, the same, you know, the nine nine to nine and nine to nine, basically in the two staffings. uh, And you would get uh, the opportunity to bring uh, somebody over from the sobering center, provide them services. And then if, when they were done there, transport them again, so have them leave. And I think that's uh, people, if they begin to understand the flow of clients or customers through the through the locations, begin to realize it's almost all indoors, and it's almost all related to uh, getting people what they need.
0: What about admittance? Uh, one of the reasons we're talking is because of the lack of information that I think is out there and the things that people have said to sort of fill in what they think is happening. Uh, there's quite a bit of discourse around... Uh, what we would call i suppose uh, uh a uh an unwilling person to go to the sobering center how are people what's the what's the process to determine a person is this is the right person to put in the sobering center yeah. who who would tackle that
1: question generally what it is it's a resource for police there's no uh uh, that they can remove someone for their safety there's no room in the jails there's no uh, no space available with the overcrowding what-have-you so um, and if there are any charges uh, the police will put them there under charges and come and release be released to the police again in the morning if they have to go to court
3: yeah. I, I think too I mean the they they the, the, Grants Pass sobering center after a year now has really had giving us some good idea of who's gonna be going in, how they're gonna enter in. And like Ross said, the law enforcement is the predominant um, Uh, refer to the to the facility and besides people who may be uncharged and not be able to get in there there's also there's people who for their own safety need to be someplace secure. Um, Chief Burge told a really good good example a recent meeting where um, he said there was one person who they'd been dealing with uh, out on the street he was intoxicated but he wasn't doing anything illegal because it's not illegal to be intoxicated in public and so they were going out and trying to get, make sure he was safe and secure, and they probably did about five visits to him, but they had no reason to arrest him, no place, reason to to uh, charge him or anything, but he was not being, his behavior was not safe, and they were afraid he was gonna endanger him into himself. Um, and then it was about the fifth or sixth time he, they got a call and he had wandered out into traffic, and luckily the car stopped before uh, they hit him, and the police then were able to cite him for being a nuisance and, and uh, were able to put him in jail. But but if they'd had a sobering center they would have been on the at the first or second call had been able to say hey let's let's take you to the sobering center let's find you a safe place to to sleep for the night and that would have saved them all the other visits out there that would have saved them the charge and all the paperwork and all the time and all the legal uh, follow-through that has to go through once they charged them and so it gives a a, just provides an opportunity an option for law enforcement to take someplace somebody and take them uh, someplace safe for Mm -hmm. when they're uh, when they're intoxicated and so really what it is is you know there's a there's a gap in our community in in the services that we need and this is really intended to meet that gap the other thing that the, the uh, Grants Pass experience has shown is that law enforcement isn't always the, the referrer. Uh, sometimes it's another agency, but I believe it was like about 20 or 30% were self-referrals or referrals from family members. Um, they were looking for, uh, had a family member who was extremely intoxicated. They didn't, had no place safe to put them. And so they actually called and went, or people have self-referred themselves. So,
0: Well, I want to get into some of uh, the recent uh, news and kind of what happened kind of uh, roll through that just a little bit um, just to get your take on what uh, we all saw play out in the news if people were paying attention to that but before I get to uh, before we get to that I want to before we leave sort of as we're defining the sobering center, I also want to give a definition of what the drop-in center would be. I saw a comment from somebody out there that said it'd be a great place for homeless people to come and and, uh, be (laughs) able to shoot up, you know, and take all of their drugs and that kind of thing, which I know, Ross, that just really, uh, you know, raises your hackles, because you and I have talked about a drop-in center before, and one of the things about a drop-in center that potentially really could help the situation is the ability that people have who are at that drop-in center, the people who are uh, basically supervising to reach people who otherwise are maybe potentially unreachable. Would you talk about how bridges can potentially get broken down in a situation where somebody is in a drop-in center situation and and somebody is able to talk to them and and, and sort of interact with them a little bit?
1: First of all, I'd like to put it in context. We, When we talk about homeless, we tend to focus get right up on, the, on uh, the 30% estimate of homeless people that are addicted or suffering from mental health. And we ignore the 70%, who I like to call the invisible. And they may be couch surfing or staying in a garage, staying in their car. There's families. And the number one reason for that is poverty. Uh, it's estimated that 80% of families in America are one payment away from from uh, not, not being able to make their one month away from not being able to make their mortgage payment so I want to broaden the scope that it's not just for for the addicted or, med, or mentally ill and it's an aspect that uh, uh, that that general families are, there's a lot of stranded women from uh, for a variety of reasons and families in fact what we're talking about is maybe closing the uh, the drop-in to the general public about 2 o'clock and they're just opening again in the afternoon just for families and kids and and the, the the invisible population. So I think that needs to be clarified.
0: Basically to give them a place to exist, that they're not out in the elements or possibly getting a ticket for loitering or who knows what,
1: right? Yeah, and it's a central place to come for, for aid, you know, to, to wash clothes, mm-hmm.
0: to... Uh, who would the partners be? We've mentioned a couple already. State of Oregon, certainly, Mike, you mentioned, uh, you know, the cooperation you get from city police. You have UCAN. We, there's a lot of people around the table. But, but who would pay for the day-to-day operations of this? Who would oversee it? What, what kind of qualifications would be required of somebody to be the administrator at a sobering center? Because when you start talking about people and, and potentially staff, that's really when the price begins to escalate
3: yeah we've done a we've done a rough estimate of what a budget would be, and we base it upon what the grants pass sobering center has is doing currently. And so we're looking at, you know again, a, a, a just a 12-hour operating window that we have to be able to fund for, and the person operating it obviously is going to be somebody who has a background in drug and alcohol issues and dealing with this population, and they would be overseeing it. And then the people who would actually be uh, working in there on a day-to-day basis, or night-to-night basis, I guess yeah. um, would would be people who I think have a, a real passion and compassion for this the people people who are in there and so I you know I sort of envision people who are themselves are in recovery and who understand the, the issues that are going on but they would receive the trainings that they need and the, uh, we'd have the protocols in place uh, be able to deal with people anyone going in would be uh, assessed initially uh, with a health screen to make sure it's safe for them to have them there and that they uh, don't really need to be at a medical facility um, so you know we'll be developing the protocols you know and we'll be able to lean a real lot on the grants past experience to be able to put that together mm-hmm.
0: ross or cap do you want to add to that
2: okay. um yeah i think the, the the in my mind this is cap in my mind one of the important things is how the staffing of the uh, drop-in center and the staffing of the uh, sobering center could work together uh in terms of of customer support and that, uh, as, as um, Mike has really outlined very well, there's some real cost savings in in those operations. Over on the on the drop-in center side, in any given day, uh, there would be coffee available. Uh, there would be, um, you know. Uh, counselor meetings going on in you know private settings Uh, there would be uh, you know a camaraderie that develops in those places people know each other um, they're able to support each other if we may even be able to do uh, if we get some support in the community we may be able to use the area as pickup labor because in in many cases one of the points we missed earlier was hey if you've got all your stuff in a cart and you got just barely enough money to get in the mission or wherever you're gonna spend the night in the woods. Uh, and it's a difference between you know food or, or having to rough it, uh, but you got an opportunity for a job. Okay, what are you gonna do with your, with your stuff? If it's out on the street, it's gonna get stolen. If you, can, if you can put it away and lock it up for a day or two, you can go off and make some money. Pretty soon you have enough money to get a motel room or to get a small apartment, uh, or you can team up with other people to do that sort of thing. Our job in in H tag is to move people from homelessness to transitional housing to being fully housed, either in a rental situation or even in a in a mortgage home situation. That's what we want to see people do is progress off the street into a different environment. So the opportunity for education and employment, either directly or, or indirectly at the drop-in center, is really important.
3: And and I think you know we've over the last recently we've actually started evolving to maybe want to moving away from referring to it as a drop-in yes. center and really looking at it as a service engagement center and I think that's the difference between you mentioned earlier that the mission has a drop-in center is their center is just a place where people can sit for the day watch TV and there's some chairs and some some uh, couches there um, but really that's it and we we're looking at something much more uh, in, much more uh, interactive and involved with people there um, not just a place to hang out but a place to really start engaging in services and that's why I'm saying the UCAN staff that are working with this population already are the ones that I envision being there and doing a lot of the same things they already do. I mean, we've got funding that can help pay for rent for people, and if we, you know, if we've engaged them in services um, that can support them with all sorts of other needs that they have, and so we really see this as more of an extension of an expansion of what we've been doing for years already. So. Uh, if if this all happens. Is this
0: us being too nice to all the homeless people and encouraging more to come to Roseburg? It's the famous <laughs> enabling question, Cap. Yeah, so because, because
2: I've been involved with it so long, and these guys have two, but it stems from the survey that we did um, that kicked off the whole project that later became known as tag. Big community discussion, uh, a lot of strong feelings on every side Uh, HTAG itself is a community organization. It's open to everyone who wants to participate. It always has been. Some people have chosen to and some not. Uh, It's not an advocacy organization for anything but the community, which includes the homeless, the housed, business people, um, regular citizens just earning a paycheck. We're there to represent and have participation from anyone who really wants to participate in it. Out of the discussions that have gone on, it's very clear there's some very strong feelings here. And that's true everywhere throughout America, I got to tell you, this, we're not unique. Uh, and everywhere in America, here's stories about people being bussed in and dropped on their streets because we're doing too much for the homeless. They love what we do here, and so on and so forth. I don't know, that may even be true. But every community has that story. So if it's going on, it's going on and it's happening to everybody. (laughs) And so that still takes us back to the central question is, how do we fix what we've got going on now? How do we uh, deal with our issues that are going on now? Some folks have said, well, it would be really good if we could pass laws and regulations and the police force could, like in the old West, the old sheriff used to take the bad guy to the edge of town and say, uh, head out, stranger, if you ever come back, you're going to jail. They, they would kind of like to do that. It's not legal. It's not constitutional. It's, it's not even supportable in a social sense. There are other folks who say tough love. So there is no love and tough love, actually. It's just tough. And the idea is to be tough on them, give people as little as possible, minimum services or none at all, and then they can choose to move on to other communities. And there's an attractiveness to that concept, except the the downside is, is that many, many, many of the people that we work with are actually locals. They're actually from local families, and they're on the street because of divorce or poverty, or they got crosswise with their central family, and they were just put on the street For and this is men and women. So you can say move on, but on the other hand, their only community they've ever known or known well or their family is right here locally. Well, all right, so so I guess we could give them nothing and, and make it harder on them, but on the other hand, it is true that in America, we're very compassionate people. We give to causes all the time. No one in the community could ever prevent someone else from giving something to a homeless person, whether it's money or food or housing, you can't stop it. So my thought is, and the thought of the tag folks always has been, in a pragmatic way, how do we guide all that effort into something that's really effective? You know, and Ross is just so good about talking about we need evidence-based, uh stuff so that we can show the community we're really having an effect the porta potties that we've got the four porta potties are an excellent example they didn't solve all the problems but on the other hand uh, you know that might come but on the other hand they got human waste off the street a lot of it off the street and so that means that the overall health of downtown and other parts of the town i assume too uh has been improved well that's a pragmatic solution it's not perfect but it's getting part of the job done
3: I think there's a tendency to look for people who don't, have, don't work with, with this issue on a regular basis to view homeless people in sort this monolithic way that 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 they're all the same. They're you know they're all they all have the same story and the same reality. And and Ross sort of alluded to it earlier that you know the reality is it's it's a real mixed bag. I mean we've got people. Yes, we have people who are addicted to drug and alcohol, and that's that is a a medical condition by the AMA and can be life-threatening if you try to withdraw on your own from especially long-term alcoholics There also are people with mental illness, which is also a medical condition. And our society just doesn't do a very good job in dealing with people with mental illness and giving them the resources that they need to be successful. But it also are people who have no drug or alcohol issue or mental health issue. Because of poverty, because of life situations, they've ended up on the streets. You know, we've got you know 400 kids in, in our community that are designated homeless. Um, we've got homeless families. We've got people living in cars, families living in cars. I remember when we first started the the VA uh, housing project out on the campus, Eagle Landing, um, there was a family that had been approved to come in. They came in about a, a month and a half early uh, from the Bend area, and it was a mom and a pop and, and three kids, and they were living in their pickup truck and waiting for their apartment to open up um and you can i said you know this that's not right kids shouldn't be living in pickup trucks so we got them a motel room for for a month and a half until their uh, apartment opened up at va at the va at the eagle landing place but you know we just have all different kinds of stories of who are homeless and so we're really looking at the the drop the service centers being a place that can really be uh, a location that all the varieties of people and all for all the different reasons are homeless can come and get some help and so um you know it's 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 not a monolithic one 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 uh one story fits all well
0: let's talk about a couple of things that happened here recently uh the news got out that there was a a, uh, an offer or a desire to locate the sobering center at a location on southeast stephen street in roseburg and Frankly, the news caught a lot of people by surprise. I guess it'd be the, the sort of the, the overarching way to describe it. Uh, we heard from uh, some uh, business owners in that area, particularly Tim Allen from Roseburg Rental, who uh, came out and started asking some very good questions. And I normally wouldn't just stick a guy's name in the middle of a story, but I think the what Tim has done has gotten involved in the way that I hope most people would want to get involved or or could get involved which is Go straight to the people who are involved in the decision or in the process and get to know them a little bit and talk about it and have a bit of an open mind. Ask some questions before you finally make your final assessment of what's happening. And, and to Tim's credit, and he's been like this for a long time, I think, in the community, uh, he did. He reached out to me as well, and, and I know that he met with you guys to find out more about what was happening. And so I kind of, I see this podcast as doing that work for the next person who wants to know more so they don't have to go around and meet with each one of us because that takes a lot of time. But uh, uh, Ross, I'd like you to step to the mic first. Uh, what was your what What's your takeaway from what happened a couple of weeks ago uh, around the sobering center here in Roseburg?
1: <clears throat> well, first of all, it was disappointing, and uh, <clears throat> second, we had not made an offer. It was just a site that we were studying. <clears throat> we are, were wanting to get a contractor in there. It was something we we're considering. So it wasn't like we'd even made an offer um so it was disappointing but then like we said it it did create some some more citizen involvement and it wasn't uh that he was ag- against the idea it was just a neighborhood and what they'd like to, they'd like to see that developed as a business area so um <clears throat> uh, but
0: also he didn't know what the sobering centered concept was not that really, kind of stuff,
1: right? and so he met with each of us right. either together or individually, where we were able to explain that to his satisfaction. So he's actually become a, uh, I think, a willing partner and <laughs> all kinds of business acumen that we can we can use. So when he talks about getting a community involvement, H Tag is a community involvement, but what he's talking about is expanding it. He made a presentation to city council the next week. And uh, so I'm hoping through him and contacts like that we can get more city engagement we do have <clears throat> we do have uh, the, the you know the, the the city council pretty much the the commissioners uh, the police have bought into the idea and so what it gets down to is where it would be and that being acceptable but we're going to have to have a lot more city involvement than we have uh, the, the the key to the to the Operation Grants Pass that is a model was the, the city involvement they already had before it started. So we're kind of starting from scratch to explain an idea and gain support for a, for a problem that everyone agrees is there.
0: I want to put a little asterisk on this conversation. I am a Roseburg City Councilor, but I'm not speaking for the City Council in anything that <laughs> I'm talking about here. I'm, I'm doing this as a uh, as a member uh, of HDAG and as a concerned citizen, just so uh, if there's any question. Uh, Lance Colley feels a lot better about things when we say that <laughs> as a City Councilor. Um, and, and where is the project now? Um, We've we've had this, there was this deadline discussion about the grant, and I think that might have uh, uh, pushed some of the urgency here toward the end of the month of June. But from what I learned in the last HTAG meeting, the money is not necessarily completely gone at this time. Cap, what's going on?
2: well uh, Mike can answer this as well but but what what we were uh, kind of suffering with it's probably too strong a term suffering uh, was a, a lack of information on our parts exactly when the money was going to come down from the state and what strings might be ta- attached in other words how fast ha- did it have to be allocated and spent what they call in the business obligated okay and um, and as it turns out in mike's uh, conversations thankfully uh what we heard was well we're gonna give it to you before the 1st of July. And then you need to make steady progress. We wanna see something happen, but we're not gonna hold you to a really strict deadline. And, um, and I think Tim and other folks felt like we were being driven by a deadline. We felt a little bit of that, but what we were mainly doing was just evaluating the feasibility of that particular site. And one reason why people got a little upset was they didn't realize that we didn't even know if that was a feasible location. We had a floor plan. I had drawn some rough drawings about, well, we might be able to do this, might be able to do that. But the next step was going to be to have, as Ross said, have a contractor and some other support people come in and evaluate what the necessary additional costs would be to convert it for the sobering center and the drop-in center. That particular property was probably the minimum size we could possibly have put stuff in. So, yes, there was a little urgency around there, but it was more about, well, we're not quite ready to really talk to the community more than basic information, which was going out to the service neighborhood group, but not in great detail. Okay. We weren't we weren't ready to talk because we didn't even know if it was a project yet or not, and we would have, as Gary Leaf pointed out in the last last H tag meeting, uh, if you were attending H tag, you would have heard, hey, we're going to do the community engagement as soon as we have an idea that this could be feasible. So. We get it. We get it that the people in the neighborhood were upset. Mostly, as you said, Brian, because of a lack of information, a lack of understanding where we were in the process. And the word spread quickly that, oh, we're buying this place, or we've already bought this place. No, we weren't even close, but we're thinking about it. So subsequently, we've looked at additional properties on a, I guess you would call it a methodical basis. We go in and see if it's available that is to say in C3 zoning or some compatible zoning, uh, is it, is it uh, accessible? Is it a property that our clientele can get into? Uh, is it suitable? Uh, is it all small offices and would that have to be revised? Is, are there plumbing issues? If there are, we've got, we've got plumbing requirements that would make it not suitable. Uh, and then in the end, we have to decide, and this comes down to Mike and Adapt, really, Greg Brigham and Adapt. Is it really feasible? Um, I mean, in, in the end, are we going to be able to cover all the costs of reconstruction or construction of a site? And then, um, with the partnerships with the county, the city, and others, will be able to will we be able to operate the site efficiently? efficiently? So. We were maybe halfway through the process I just described before the community became concerned about it. And as Ross said, it was actually a great opportunity to get to know people. Um, a lot of folks, very passionate folks. And, um, and I thought overall, uh, Tim Allen's questions were extremely relevant. And I think they still are. I don't know that they'll get answered by HTAG. But as Ross suggested and Mike suggested at our last meeting, maybe the city will have... I don't know, more of an engaged role rather than just working alongside of us as collaborators, maybe they'll take a leadership element and, and run with it.
3: Yeah. Mike, do you want to add anything? Um, I just, just want to say I really appreciated Tim's interest in his coming out and talking to us um, about it and, and understanding it, because he actually raised, I think, some of our understanding of the situation, too. And we realized, you know, because of Tim's work, that we really are sort of narrowed down into the, the facilities that we could look at, uh, because as zoning issues and um, the zoning issue basically limits us to the c3 uh, zone parts of the the community which are the business areas of the community and so the zoning issues you know is i think something that that Tim's identified as maybe a long term a potential issue that maybe needs to be does need to be addressed by the city um, is saying is it is that really the right zoning or does it need to be expanded um, because you know we are limited in looking the business community and if the business community doesn't want us there we don't have a we don't have an option we don't have a choice and so I think that was a sort of an aha for me an awareness of for me that of what was going on so I've really appreciated Tim's involvement not only for what he brings to the table but his his approach and his style and his willingness to just talk about it it's i think it's been real positive
0: so what are the next steps
3: um we're still looking for a facility um like i say we've looked at a couple since that time uh, nothing that's really brought us to uh, you know great ah this is it um we're looking at even at potential option of bare land and can we bring in um modular units to meet some of our needs or build partial build and partial modular um we're really open um you know one of the things that we are sort of limited to is if if we're going to combine it as a drop-in center or service engagement center and and a sobering center is that we need it some located someplace where the homeless population tends to be and so that they can get to it so we're that sort of limits where uh, the area that we're, we're looking in. So, you know, we're we're still on the hunt. But does that also include away from downtown? Um, define downtown for me, you, yeah. know, you know. So this is Cap as president of downtown um, we
2: have a boundary uh, for our downtown Roseburg area which extends from Southgate uh, all the way up to the top of Winchester Street so it's a long narrow downtown definition for DRA in the heart of Roseburg project Uh, it's been pretty successful in bringing people together and I think um, if you think of say City Hall as the center of that location uh, we've always talked about it being somewhere within a half mile or so because so many other communities have experience with this and they say you need to locate it within reasonable walking distance of the downtown area. It's a natural place where people come. Uh, let them do that. Uh, and we would like to have it a couple blocks away from um, any housing. Uh, we'd like not to offend neighbors in any way we can. Uh, so it's, uh, that's, that's one aspect. That's what we've been working under. On the other hand, if there is another part of the community that makes more sense to do it, then uh, we would like to hear that from people, I'm sure. Uh, It's Tim's point that, you know, there may be some public land that's a better choice to develop. Uh, We don't know that, and that would be that city leadership part of it. Um, And and then the other thing in in the end is that if there is somebody out there who has a commercial zone product or uh, uh, property, who is interested in working on this with us. Um, Thankfully, Mike and you can and ADAPT and lots of folks can actually give people a partial tax credit, uh, cash and a tax credit if they're looking for that. There's lots of arrangements that can be made. So if if there's somebody listening to our podcast, this is a great opportunity to do something great for your community. Uh, The property need not be in great repair. Uh, but it needs to be to meet our needs in terms of that feasibility thing I discussed earlier.
0: So there is some
2: great opportunity out there if, if people are interested.
0: And also, will there be an effort to make sure that nobody in the neighborhood where this potentially, beca- as you as you hone in on a location, efforts to educate the community, the people around that area, um, thoughts on that? I mean, is that going to be some uh, – what I'm getting at is I would like people to know that, that they're not – Going to be surprised
3: again yeah when when we if we find a place that we start feeling is is a definite opportunity then at that point in time yeah we will definitely be going to the community and informing them and we've probably looked at you know eight or ten places in the year year or so that we've been looking for this if we you know had started that community education process you know for each of those places we were looking at at the very beginning that's all we would be doing and we wouldn't have a chance to be able to actually do the work and a lot of it would have just been for naught so um so we just you know if we ever get to the point where we think yeah this looks like it's gonna work um then yeah we definitely will be going to the community and talking in the neighborhood and talking with them
0: I want to put a cap on the end of this, not with cap right now, but eventually. But um, I want to circle back around everybody in this conversation and just ask you for any final thoughts. Um, if there's anything we've left out or anything you really want to make sure gets said to a listening audience that's really interested in this, let's start with Ross. What is it that you would like to to add?
1: I'm not sure this. I'm not sure this fits the context of what you asked for. But I, as as I've been listening, one of the things we've learned from Tremendously as grants pass, and I've been visiting there for a year. A lot of us have. Um, I had heard that once they started the the uh, sobering center, their problematic downtown concentration of people had left, and that just seemed to be a little bit far fetched from my background and understanding. I was recently down there for the year's celebration, and I talked to three policemen there. One, the deputy. Ah uh, Police Chief, and he said that that was true. It was something they hadn't expected, and his hunch was that the people who weren't from Grant's pass had moved on and and <clears throat> the people left were were uh, were from from the area. Hmm. Um, so there is a there there is some truth to that statement, which is something we could look forward to yeah that uh, would <clears throat> also let us concentrate more our services with the uh, what I'm calling quote the invisible homeless
3: right. I'd just like to add a couple of this you know uh, detail or uh, operational questions that we've had raised by people that we didn't address um, with the sobering Center um, first of all we're looking at probably four to five um, uh, rooms for people to stay in so we're not looking at a massive number of people out there at any one time and and so uh, and then also people have had questions about well what happens when people leave you just dump them on the street and the answer is no you don't because there's a liability issue you can would have in operating it you can if somebody is still somewhat intoxicated you know when at the at in the morning and but they're able to take care of themselves but they're not fully you know fully sober um, there's a liability issue just turning somebody loose and so we're not going to be we're not going to be doing that and so what happens in Grants Pass and we would replicate that. That is whoever brought the person to the facility would then be we responsible for picking them up so if law enforcement is the one who brought them there then law enforcement would be the one responsible for picking them up if a family dropped them off family would be responsible for picking them up if there isn't anybody who's responsible then we would transport them to some place that they felt they would be safe and uh, where they may want to be going to so we're not just going to be dropping people off on the streets and, you know when the nine o'clock all of a sudden people four or five people are going to be staggering off that's <laughs> Not our vision, and, and this for pure liability reasons. We couldn't have that happen. Right. Cap, any final thoughts?
2: Well, um, as the facilitator for HTAG, I would just encourage any of the folks listening to this, uh, if you want to participate, uh, it is, uh, as Brian mentioned before, the fourth Wednesday of every month. Uh, it's generally held at Greater Douglas United Way, uh, but not always. Sometimes we move it around town. It's just convenient for a lot of people in downtown. I, um, and if people really want to uh, connect, connect with me, they can as the, as the um, facilitator. We don't have a website. We've got this great Facebook page that Brian operates for us. Uh, but we try to keep the pressure off of the Facebook page by having people contact me directly. And um, so my email is Jim j-i-m underscore kaplan c-a-p-l-a-n one just the number one at msn.com that's jim underscore kaplan1 at msn.com. And frankly, um, I got to tell you, uh, over all my years of working on projects, I get very little hate mail. So I'm very open to people contacting me, mm-hmm. but I do get a lot of regular mail. So if I don't get back to you right away, uh, don't be concerned. Um, just happy to hear from you and we'll try to roll you into future tag efforts.
0: Jim Kaplan, Ross Bannister, and Mike Fieldman, appreciate your time. Uh, hoping that this uh, gets information out to people who are very interested. We have a lot of people, as you mentioned, Cap, who are very passionate about this, very interested in uh, protecting everyone's rights and correctly framing all the people involved in this so that there aren't labels thrown around and, and barricades that are built in an already difficult conversation that we're all having. And hopefully this uh, also can lead to some civil discourse around this point, because uh, from uh, from the mouth of a a very brand new politician city councilor public servant if you will the conversations with people who disagree that are civil and thoughtful and honest are absolutely exhilarating it is more enjoyable to have those conversations with people whether they agree or not than almost anything else i've ever experienced in in this sort of stuff in my life Contrary, uh, on the other side of the coin, the garbage that gets thrown around Facebook and the and the thoughtless comments and the lack of information and the 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 bunker mentality that people get into is absolutely destructive. And it's and it's probably uh, creates more barriers than we all even need. So I'm just encouraging good communication, civil discourse. Uh, even if you disagree with somebody, talk to them and and look for the common denominators because actually we have a lot more in common than you probably even recognize. So thank you very much for your time. Thank if you're you, listening Brian. right now, thank you for thank your you. time uh, in a long conversation. We hope to do this more often and, and uh, hopefully you can reach out to Jim Kaplan if you have any more questions or leave a comment here on this Facebook page. Thanks once again for your time.